The Business of Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Land Trust. Did you know sportsmen spend over $5 billion annually in hunter and angler access fees? Land Trust is a platform that connects sportsmen with farmers and ranchers like you who have untapped profits just by providing access to their land. Go to landtrust.com slash BOA, as in business of agriculture, to see how much you might add to your bottom line. Greetings and welcome to another amazing installment of the Business of Agriculture podcast. It's me, your host, Damian Mason. Today we're talking from cattle to COVID, chemicals to climate. Is it ever really about the science? I say generally it is not. We're going to talk about what this means for all of us in the business of agriculture as we look to be successful in the future and what things are going to be impacting us. I want to remind you that this episode of the Business of Agriculture, like so many before it, is sponsored by my friends at Harvest Profit. Harvest Profit is a Fargo-based company, but it doesn't matter where they are. They serve clients and customers all over the United States of America and even in Canada. It's a software solution to help your agricultural enterprise be what it's supposed to be, that is, profitable. So if you want to check out this software solution and use it on your operation for free for 14 days to see if it works, you just go to harvestprofit.com. This episode is also not just an audio, which you can get Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch it at the Damian Mason channel. So if you do me a big favor, go onto YouTube and just type in Damian Mason channel and uh, then hit subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything and it helps my visibility so that more people can see this. This is a great episode to share with your non-ag friends. I have a lot of non-ag people that pick up their Business of Agriculture podcast and they can learn a little bit about our industry. So let's talk about our industry. Unique title, I know. Cattle to, uh, cattle to COVID and chemicals to climate. Is it ever really about the science? You know, if you keep up with my stuff, if you've read my book, uh, Food Fear, um, I talk about this. I also talk about it in my uh, live audiences. That we must, as an industry, approach our customers and our clients where they are. And generally where they are not is in the science lab. We spend a lot of time there because that's what we do. We go to great land grant universities, we do research, we spend time in greenhouses and in laboratories coming up with fantastic chemicals and new ways of producing livestock. But our customers generally are not there because they're not scientifically educated. Uh, science is not exciting to the average person. If you think about the average consumer, they're out here reading People magazine. They're not reading uh, Science Daily, right? So what am I going to say that we need to know or what should we do? Well, let's just go ahead and go through these point by point. I think that as we, as an industry advance and move forward, we're going to increasingly have more criticism and more scrutiny. You know, activism is a business. I point this out to my uh, my people all the time when we discuss how to go about and, you know, operate in the marketplace. When you think about the PETAs, now just this week as I'm recording this, PETA the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, which is a fundraising organization masked as a humane treatment of animals organization. It's much like Humane Society of the United States. They have a tremendous amount of staff. They bring in millions and millions of dollars, of which they pay no taxes on, and they hire propagandists, PR people, and lawyers. They put an ad in Oklahoma criticizing the governor, calling him a meathead. 
And um, that was, you know, obviously incendiary. It was uh, put out there for a reason to be critical of a pro-meat, pro-agriculture governor. And so why am I telling you this? PETA didn't put out an ad saying, do you realize that these cows are really, really bad for the environment because they produce methane, which is 30 times more uh, heat trapping than carbon dioxide. They didn't do that. Those are actual statistics, by the way. Uh, I can pull this off of the Food and Agriculture Organization within the United Nations. We're going to talk about that gas. But while we're on the subject of cattle, what we as an industry are always faced with is these organizations that then do incendiary, emotional, emotion-evoking ad campaigns and propaganda to paint us into a corner to make us look bad. And we generally respond with science. If science worked the activist groups that are better at marketing than we are, better at evoking emotion than we are, better at getting people to give them their money. Remember, we get money from people to give them food. Those organizations get money from people just because they create a cause. So they're more powerful than us. They're better at the whole thing, but they never use science. They instead divide, pit people against a governor, pit you against the consumer, pit vegans against us. You see what we're talking about? Those are not science-based approaches. Those are emotion, human emotion manipulation, if you will. So what am I talking about? Well, we as an industry are going to probably see more and more um, of this moving forward. Why? Because we're a real good target. We're also in a very effective lever. If you know what I'm talking about, you know, the lever, the, 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 the using leverage, if you will. Those organizations make money by opposing us. And by opposing us then and painting us as the villain, their fundraising comes in. And so they use us, take a picture of something terrible happening, uh, a manure lagoon that smells bad. And then you say, and this is the reason right now that we have global climate change. And what do we do? We tell them how hard we work or we talk about science. Doesn't work. So on the issue of cattle, here's what I see happening. I see probably big taxes coming on meat and milk products, especially if it is bovine derived, because it seems as though cows are now the new enemy. Remember last summer, Burger King came out with their commercial and everybody in ag said, yeah, but man, we sure got even with them. The ranchers went crazy and the beef people went crazy. Yeah, but you know what? Burger King frankly got more run out of this stupid ad because of our reaction. And was it again about science? No, it was a little boy walking around in his cowboy outfit, playing a guitar, singing about cow farts. Did they talk again about science? Did they they even bring up what a molecule of methane looks like? Well, hell no, because the consumer doesn't know. Bird King took this as a positive. They said, we're going to give lemongrass to uh, our cattle, which they don't even own. They said, we're going to only buy beef that comes from cattle that are fed lemongrass, which cuts out greenhouse gas emissions. Not very scientific. Not even sure if that's true. I've never fed lemongrass to my cattle. But they went just on the edge of science and then said, this is why it's good for you. Essentially, this was an ad campaign to make the consumer feel good about eating burgers, that they weren't harming the environment. Truth is, this was a pretty effective ploy into what exactly I'm talking about. If we want to win... If we want to win, we need to 
be more like the Burger King, giving our customers freedom and permission to enjoy our product and saying it's not, you don't need to feel guilty. We're, we're actually reducing methane because we're giving a special diet to our cattle. So we flew off the handle as an industry, and the reality is Burger King was probably huge consumer of our beef, for God's sakes. They use a lot of our beef, right, to sell all those Whoppers. Probably actually was doing what I think we need to do more of, and that is giving the consumer simplistic information that is not too laden with science, and then allowing that consumer to feel good about their purchase, feel good about buying our stuff, eating our stuff, and it made no more sacrifice. You see, consumers want to feel good and act as though they've done something positive without actually making any sacrifice. Burger King did that. We have, and I believe we will increasingly see, taxes on beef and milk products because when you have stuff like this, and this is an older study, it doesn't matter, from the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, uh, global livestock represents 14.5% of all anthropogenic, anthropogenic, that means human-caused greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and then they talk about cattle specifically. Uh, about 65% of the entire livestock sector comes from uh, cattle. I believe when we have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the uh, in the Congress, uh, who got a year ago, got an entire hour-long town hall on MSNBC, and she specifically singled out cattle and talked about regenerative agriculture and how we need to do something about cow farts, and everybody laughed. But this is the thing where she actually then says, maybe we need to have limits on red meat consumption. Kamala Harris, our new vice president, said a same thing in a CNN uh, interview. She said that she would support she would support government-imposed reductions on red meat consumption. Um, there's a big hubbub right now. Uh, Joe Biden and the Biden administration says that they're not uh, imposing meat uh, restrictions on us. But I see this day coming. When you look at also the political power of Bill Gates, which I've talked about before on this podcast, uh, worth $130 billion, or now that he's getting divorced, presumably half of $130 billion, still tremendously powerful and able to sway influence. Even said in his interview with MIT in February of 2021, you can look it up, that we really need to consider uh, going to a fully synthetic meat consumption in developed countries like the U.S., and it probably wouldn't get there without regulation. So he's calling for a regulated imposition on what we're allowed to eat. It'll be done under the guise of science. But the average consumer doesn't really understand the science. So it's very easy for these folks that want to push their influence to say it's all about the science, knowing that the consumer can't really question it. This is what we're going to deal with increasingly. I do see taxes being instituted, and it'll be under the guise of saving the world, preventing the uh, destruction of our environment, greenhouse gas emissions, et cetera, et cetera. There'll be taxes placed, hefty taxes, uh, given the administration right now is pretty big on spending, and now is also talking about new taxes. I believe that uh, we will see in the next year or two a big call to be taxing meat, particularly bovine-derived meat or milk or cheese or anything that comes from uh, cattle. Is it about the science? No, generally not. Because we could also make the point that only a few percent of all of the Earth's, uh, um, you know, because it depends on which thing you say, a few percent of all of our emissions come from cattle. doesn't matter. It seems as though this has become a real popular thing to be anti 
cattle, anti-beef, anti-dairy, anti-manure lagoons. It's a real trending thing right now, and it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. You would have a very difficult time um, as a company uh, coming out against this call for taxes that I see coming, and you would have to, again, figure out how to do it. So I say we do it by appealing to emotion because it's not really about the science. Let me go on about a couple other things because I want you to put your mind in the head of your consumer. It's always very powerful to do that. I, I uh, have always said that that's one thing that we must do is to be successful in business, don't think like yourself. Think like those who pay you. Think like your customers. When you think like your customers, then you'll be in a better place because after all, we all work for other people's money. So I want to tell you about, uh, because I said from cattle to COVID, chemicals to climate, it's never been really about the science. You're going to think I'm getting political. You can take that for whatever you want. I'm just giving you some examples of who our customers are. This is a tweet from over the weekend from David Hogg. You might know David Hogg. You might not know David Hogg. Doesn't matter. I'll tell you who he is. He was a a little high school kid that leans very hard uh, left and was sort of picked up by the media and those on the left because he came out as an organizer uh, with some parental help and some other organizer, uh, some adults involved. But he made it look as though, and the media made it look, and his handlers made it look as though he had organized a bunch of people against gun violence when there was a school shooting in Florida. So now he's in his early 20s, I believe, and David Hogg has 40,000 followers on Twitter, and he's quite the, the poster boy for certain things. And he says, I feel the need to continue wearing my mask outside, even though I'm fully vaccinated because the inconvenience of having to wear a mask is more than worth it to have people not think I'm a conservative. Now, again, you can just pull the politics out of this. What this kid is really saying is out of a political posturing, he's going to make a decision. He's going to make a decision to wear a mask just because he wants to demonstrate his political affiliation. So is that about science? When, after all, the CDC said you don't have to wear a mask. When 99%, I'm sorry, when, when the people that are vaccinated have been told you're completely fine, he's choosing to do this not because of the science, but because of the political posturing, because of how it makes him feel, because of what it says about him. So why am I using that example? Because you'd say, oh, damn, you're getting political. Those are our customers. The consumer that goes about buying their food at Whole Foods doesn't do so because of the science. Sure, there'll be a chalkboard in there, wrong as it might be, that says, eat organic, it's healthier. There's no truth to any of that. There is no truth that organic food is more healthy. Uh, But the average consumer would argue vehemently with you if you told them that. It's raised differently. It has a different set of herbicides and pesticides that you can apply that are organic approved. That's part of the organic rules and regulations per the United States Department of Agriculture. But it is not in any scientific study, been proven to be healthier just because of it being raised under organic practices. Might be better for a certain uh, method if you're not using chemistry in a field or whatever you might think, but there's no proof at all scientifically that it's healthier for you. But the consumer believes it, and the consumer would even argue against the science and tell you that you're wrong if they are an organic consumer at Whole Foods and that's something they believe in. It becomes, again, very ideological, similar to a person that says, even though they're vaccinated, they're going to wear a mask because they want to prove 
who they are and what their political ideology is. So I want you to think about that with our consumers. We're out here all the time talking about the science and the consumer is doing something for a completely different set of reasons. Maybe that's like this guy right here who's going to do something because of what it says about him. Why am I continuing to go on about this? Because we tend to lose the battle whenever we pull science. A few numbers, yes. Should we stare some, share some stats? Absolutely. I've taken 14 hours of lab science at Purdue University. I'm fine with science. Took all four years of sciences growing up in my community here in Huntington, Indiana. I'm fine with science, but it doesn't resonate with consumers. What does? Self-interest. Appealing to them. Appealing to one they can buy that makes, this, that makes a statement about themselves. Like, for instance, the man with his statement about masks. So we're talking about cattle to COVID. Let's talk about chemicals. As I just said, when we go down the road of using science, we generally lose. Want the best example I can give you? How about $11.6 billion of settlement from Bayer? Backstory that you're probably familiar with, but if you're one of my non-ag listeners, I'll give you the background here. Bayer, the German maker of everything from aspirin to uh, farm chemicals, bought Monsanto a couple of years ago for $66 billion. Lawsuits in Northern California filed by plaintiffs against Monsanto's chemical Roundup. It's the trade name. The actual product is glyphosate. I use it out here at my farm every week of the summer. Spraying fence rows, driveways, whatever. Great herbicide. Been around since the 80s. Glyphosate Roundup uh, was sued. Bayer got sued because of the lawsuits against Monsanto. Are they the only manufacturer of glyphosate? No, there's all kinds of manufacturers. It's generic product. But they, uh, trial lawyers knew that you could win against Monsanto. You could win against Monsanto because for decades there had been the march against Monsanto. People outside of, say, Whole Foods signing petitions, carrying around signs, marching against Monsanto, having whole movements of citizens chanting and carrying signs against an ag chemical maker. Seemed kind of crazy, right? But the trial lawyers knew, because they're very smart, we can create a class action suit eventually out of this, and we're going to sue, and we're going to file, and we're going to start with a filing in Northern California, an area that's generally pretty hostile toward modern agriculture, where the citizens are probably not going to be a big fan of a multinational agricultural chemical maker, and then also where there's a great deal of agricultural ignorance. And it wasn't a farmer that had cancer. It was a custodian of a school, an elementary school custodian who had been spraying the cracks in the parking lot with glyphosate and said he got cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, because of it. If he did, I'm very sorry. I tend to doubt it as an agricultural person, as a understander of science, because I know all of my agricultural friends that have been around glyphosate for their entire, since it came out in the 1980s, and they have been around it in copious quantities, a great deal more than a school custodian would have been from spraying, spraying the cracks in a playground, and they don't have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. The travelers put him on the stand. There's a sick man dying of cancer in an area that hates agriculture, an area that does not feel very good about Monsanto or modern agriculture in general, and they won the lawsuit. That was the first. Then the cascade began. There was two more. 
in California for at least the second one. I can't remember the third one was. And all the lawsuits then were found in favor of the plaintiff. And then the trial lawyers were licking their chops. The Environmental Working Group got in on the act and conveniently started dropping their studies right when the lawsuit was uh, won uh, against Monsanto, saying that there's now weed killer in your children's cereal. So they sort of piled on. Came a big propaganda movement, a lot of PR scared consumers said oh my god there's weed killer in my kids lucky charms on a parts per billion basis there probably is a bit of weed killer in your kids cereal on a parts per billion basis that we can now test for because we're very good scientifically we can find a lot of things traces of fingernails rodent parts human feces is probably in your kids cereal because when you start testing for a parts per billion number you're talking about being able to find all sorts of things is it enough glyphosate to actually harm you? No. Remember the study that came out? Again, this was science, so it doesn't matter to the average consumer that if you, you would have to, because there was also allegedly glyphosate in your wine, you would need to drink like 30 bottles of wine per day for the next hundred and some odd years to build up enough glyphosate in your system to kill you. And of course, if you can drink 30 bottles of wine per day for the next hundred years, you, you've got more problems than just some damn glyphosate, right? But the issue is those were science things. And we're out here saying that, and that's a good one right there, by the way, because then people can laugh and say, oh, well, I can't drink 30 bottles of wine for the next 130 years. That works. But what did Bayer do in those courtrooms? They argued on the basis of science. They argued on the basis of science and lost. From cattle to COVID to chemicals, is it really about the science? Apparently not. About $12 trillion, I'm sorry, $12 billion is going to be shelled out in this settlement. And I see this coming to other chemical companies. Because if it was this easy to take $12 billion from Bayer, why not go ahead and get some money out of BASF, Syngenta, Corteva, the other big chemical manufacturers that are global in nature and obviously can be demonized and then put on trial and then go in front of a jury and use emotion, show a sick person dying of cancer and illustrate that this big, bad, nasty, evil maker of chemicals is the culprit and take their money. Bayer argued science and lost. Let's talk about climate. This is going to be increasingly impacting us as an industry because we have an environment of environmentalism. It's been building for a long time. The first Earth Day in April of 1970, 74, something in the early 70s when we had the first Earth Day, and it's been nothing but building. We now are going to see increasing amounts of scrutiny and regulation on how we do our farming, how we produce out here. And you, as an agricultural person, are saying, like, what do you see coming? Well, I told you about taxes on livestock production, particularly beef and, and dairy, uh, on the products. Not on us necessarily, it'll be on our products, I believe. That's what I predict right now. But there will be a regulatory environment against us. And if we go about winning this argument, trying to win this argument on the basis of science, we're going to struggle. So, yes, we should have the data. Yes, we should have the facts. But... But you're going to be combating this, cows, methane, and climate change. This is from a, a scientific source. I read the whole article. I just thought I'd show you the headline. <clears throat> We're going to have to appeal to the consumer. 
So my recommendation is that we go about this by saying to the consumer, we go about this by having our ducks in a row, if you will, from our commodity groups, which need to then say, the American farmer and rancher has been a steward of the land for centuries. We are still doing this. Cover crops, CRP, which is going to grow by 20% this year, it looks like, adding 4 million more acres to the CRP, which, of course, is going to make cash rents go up because the way they're going to do that is the government's going to throw money out here at Farmville and say, would you please put more acres into the CRP program? Then puts, puts pressure, upward pressure, I'm sorry, on cash rents. But that's neither here nor there. We are going to have to adjust to our regulatory environment, uh, probably see rules on tillage of the land that's happening up in Alberta right now. A few years ago, I sat in on a session where you are um, sort of, you can get some money from the government if you do certain tillage practices, thereby to not release carbon. We're going to see carbon credits coming more and more mainstream. I talked about that in a previous episode of the Business of Ag podcast. If it's economic incentive, we're good with it, right? But what if it's regulatory? Then we have a fight. Maybe what you do on your land is no longer something you can just do without permission because the politicians that want to control that, take the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortezes of the world that have tremendous influence. She has four to five times as many Twitter followers as even live in her district. She can get on TV about whenever she wants. And she says that we need to look at regenerative agriculture and we need to do something about cow farts and we need to do something about beef consumption. So how are we going to win? We just want to farm, right? We just want to produce. We just want to do our thing. We've got to go to the consumer. We've got to go to the consumer and say to the consumer, hey, we'll do whatever you want. But you can't handcuff us. Hey, dear consumer, somebody wants to be in charge of your dinner plate. Bill Gates and a couple of politicians want to control what you're allowed to eat through the power of the law. That's emotional, and that is going to work. We can briefly mention the science, but again, science loses. So I see regulation on, on what we do on our farms, and I see us having to do a, 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 an emotion-evoking fight over that. And we'll have to do it by going to the consumer. We're going to have to get concerted with our effort and say things like, you know what? These cause groups and these activists want to control your food. They want to make you less food secure. They want to dictate what you're allowed to eat. Those are all emotionally evoking things, and they will work with our consumer. If we go in there and we start talking about the science of carbon release, it will not work. Instead, we say, you know what we're doing in America's farms and ranches? We're sequestering carbon. Hey, we took that nasty, erodible-type ground out of production and put it in a range. We're feeding animals from the grasslands that are then restorative and also sequestering our carbon. Good for you, good for America. You see, that's the story we tell. Simple things like sequestering carbon. Simple things like saving the environment. Good for the environment. Less resources used to produce a calorie of food than has ever been done before. That's one of my stats I use all the time. You know why? It's simple. People understand that. Using less natural resources per calorie of food produced than has ever been done before in human history. Oh, see? A little bit of science, but also something that everybody can feel good about. That's why you should support modern agriculture that we have places like here in Canada, the United States, because we do so very efficiently, very effectively. We are taking care of your environment. It's a shared environment, right? So I think we need to get buy-in. I think we need our consumers to believe that what we're doing is good, and we'll do that by, again, keeping it very simple. Cattle to COVID, 
chemicals to climate. Is it really about the science? It is, but that doesn't win us any arguments when it comes to how we go about our interface and interaction with our customer base. I'm Damian Mason. I uh, forgot to tell you uh, here in the middle part of the episode that this episode is brought to you by my good friends at Harvest Profit. HarvestProfit.com is where you can go and check out their product. It's a software solution for your agricultural enterprise. Software solution for your agricultural enterprise that will help you be what you're supposed to be, which is more profitable. Go to HarvestProfit.com and check out their solution. See if it'll work for you. You can try it free for 14 days. While you're there, you should also look at a couple of articles written by Nick Horeb. He's the founder of Harvest Profit. Smart dude. He's got helpful articles, blogs he puts out there that you can probably learn from. Short little reads that are covering a lot of topics that probably uh, make you think about things a little differently. You've heard me say this before about the science thing. But why am I bringing it up again? Because I believe we're in a real real interesting time right now. The American consumer, the consumer in general, has been bombarded with stuff, and it looks to me like they are generally compliant. Did it really scientifically matter whether you walked a certain direction in the aisles at Walmart? No. Was it really scientific? that said you need to walk only one way down this aisle and another way down another aisle to prevent the spread of COVID. Did that really matter? Arguably no. Was it about the science? Arguably not. But did it fly? Did the consumer fall in line and do it? In general, yes. So we can see constant, constant examples of the consumer, of the public, doing unscientific things for unscientific reasons. And that's because humans are emotional. Humans are emotional more than logical. Science is about logic. Also, there's a lot of conflicting messaging. Just think about what wins and what loses. PETA wins with inflammatory, incendiary messaging that makes us look bad. We combat it with molecules of methane, discussion about cows, No. If you want to win, as much as you didn't like it, think about how Burger King went right to the consumer and made them feel good about eating beef because they said, you know what? This beef here at Burger King, it's low emission beef. It's because we changed the diet. That's how we win. We win by letting the consumer do what they want to do and feel good about themselves for doing so. And then we make them feel good about it by an emotional message. When you, when, you, when you eat our food, it's good for the environment. That's what we're doing here in places like North America. Yes, Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations, they're right. A lot of greenhouse gas emissions coming out of those livestock farms. But you know what? Not as bad here in the United States and Canada and the Western countries, the developed countries, as it is in those third world countries. You know what? That's where they're raping the forest, burning down mahogany trees and putting out, oh, Better eat that, better eat that local meat. Better eat that stuff here from North America. It's good for the environment. We produce less greenhouse gas emissions per pound of livestock in the developed world than they do in the developing world by a great deal. Ah, that's a message we can get behind, right? I do see taxes coming. I see regulations coming. We will win as long as we stay away from hardcore science. I'm Damian Mason. 
Thanks, Harvest Profit. Thank you for being a listener. Please go to my YouTube channel, Damian Mason Channel. Go to YouTube, just type in Damian Mason Channel and hit subscribe. It'll really help me out a lot, and I appreciate it. We're back to doing live events. That's right. Going to be a bunch of live events here in May, and in June I've even got a couple uh, live events. Still doing some virtual ones, too. So if I can be of service to you, if you have a an event where you're getting people together and you want to talk about the business of agriculture, give me a call. I'd love to work with you. Until next time, it is the business of agriculture. Thank you for tuning into the Business of Agriculture podcast, sponsored by Land Trust. Land Trust partners with farmers and ranchers to capture pure profit from sportsmen seeking new experiences and places to hunt and fish. Land Trust built the platform and does the marketing. You maintain 100% control of access and activities, and you set the rules. There's no cost or obligation when you list, and the next 10 Business of Agriculture listeners who go to landtrust.com/boa are eligible for a gift worth over $2,000.